Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. Reading from uh, John 17, NIV version. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you've granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you've given him. Now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Now, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that the scripture could be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one father just as you are in me and i am in you may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me i've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one i in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity then the world will know that you sent me and love them even as you've loved me Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may in them and that I myself be in them. Thanks, Sasha and uh, Andres, for reading that. Let's pray together. God said many, many years 
ago, hundreds of years before Jesus, that he was going to put the law within his people and write it on their hearts. And then it says, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Thank you, Father, for making yourself known through your Son by the Spirit to us. Thank you, Jesus, that as we heard in this prayer, you have abundantly made God known to us. And we pray today, Holy Spirit, would you help us to know God deeper, more personally, more intimately in our lives, that we might be transformed and that we would also help to make him known in this world wherever we are. So thank you for this amazing gift, the knowledge of God that we have today. Help us to grow in it and enjoy it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome to Trinity Sunday, as you've already heard. We come to this part in the church calendar. um, And if you didn't know, Trinity Sunday is officially the final named Sunday for quite a while. In In some church calendars, You've got uh, Easter, the Ascension Sunday, Pentecost Sunday, Trinity Sunday, and then apparently it's just ordinary time until Christmas. So every Sunday after this one is going to be horribly ordinary, but hopefully today might be a little bit extraordinary. Now, so imagine that you meet up with a friend tomorrow for coffee, or you go to work and a colleague, you're with a colleague, or at the school gates, whatever it is. And you ask them, what did you do over the weekend? And they say something like, oh, I went to the uh, lecture on progressive economics at the University of Greenwich, um, which did happen, apparently. And you're right, I wasn't there. Um, And they say, oh, what did you do on Sunday or this weekend? And you said, well, I went to church and heard a talk on the Trinity. Now, which one of those sounds more abstract, vague, weird, complicated, and complex? I think it would almost be 50-50 in some people's minds, but I want to show you today that actually speaking about the Trinity, being able to explain and understand the Trinity is actually easy for you, and it's good news for them. Because the kind of knowledge that we're meant to have of the Trinity, I think is different to sometimes how we might conceive things. Because there's certain types of understanding, aren't there? Kind of two different kinds of understanding. There's conceptual understanding, understanding ideas, theories, abstract uh, concepts that are out there that you need diagrams and you need to memorize terms and words and get everything right in order to show that you understand this uh, idea. And then there's the kind of understanding that you have of people that you know and trust and love. That's a different kind of understanding. Now, it involves information, and it involves facts and these kinds of things, but it's deeper than that, isn't it? And that's the kind of understanding I think Jesus is wanting for us when he says in verse 3, that they may know you. A great preacher called Michael Eaton used to say that it is extremely difficult to explain the Trinity in theory, but it's very easy to experience the Trinity in reality. In your own uh, life, in the way that you live, actually understanding the Trinity is quite simple. Because the Trinity isn't just something that you're meant to just wrap your mind around. God, who is Trinity, is someone that you're meant to wrap your arms around and get wrapped up in. That's the goal that Jesus had, I think. Because have you ever thought about this? 
what does Jesus pray about all the time? Have you, have you ever read through the Gospels and ever wondered, actually, why aren't there more prayers of Jesus recorded? We're often told that Jesus prayed, that he went away to pray, or even feeding of the 5,000 that he offered up thanksgiving, or there's certain moments where he might speak a few words to God. But those moments when he goes away to pray, and we're told he prays for extended periods of time, those are not recorded in the Gospels. We don't have many extended prayers of Jesus in the Gospels. He tells us the Lord's Prayer is a good model for us to pray, but there aren't actually many occasions where Jesus, it seems, wanted his disciples to either hear what he was praying, or at least to write down what he was praying, apart from this prayer. This is the most extended prayer of Jesus that we've got. This is what Jesus wanted his disciples and us to overhear. This is what he wanted them to eavesdrop into and learn from for their own lives. So he spoke it so that they would hear it. And if you were one of these nosy disciples who was listening into Jesus at this point, what do you notice first in this prayer? I think you notice first how much God loves God. Verse 1, glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. And then verse 5, which is wrapping up this section, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world began. Now, sometimes there are criticisms or people say, uh, about the God of the Old Testament, he's seeking his glory. Uh, there's often these phrases about God seeks his own glory. And people turn their nose up at that and think, that sounds a bit weird, a bit big-headed, whatever else. But, and I, th I think actually that would probably be right if God wasn't Trinity. If God was just all alone, a loner in the sky, he was just one person up there above, and he was seeking glory, I think that would cause us to be a bit suspicious and a bit worried for him. He's sort of God on his tod, all there on his own, no one else. So he needs affirmation. But that's not the nature of the Trinity. See, why would just go to a different version of God, which some people have in their mind when they just think about God, this just single entity, all on his own, a loner in the sky, and he's seeking his glory. Why would he have created the world? He would have created the world in order to fill a gap in his own existence. He would have uh, created the world because he was lacking something, because he needed some more love or affirmation or glory. But we hear from the Trinity that that is absolutely not the case. As we hear from Jesus in verse 5, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. God, the Trinity, has never lacked anything. There is one God in three persons. That's not three parts, not three personalities, not three beings. There is one being, one God, three persons. Some people say that's a contradiction. It's not. If you said there's one God and there's three gods, that would be a contradiction. But one God, three persons, we're just talking about the nature of God. Three persons always glorifying one another, always looking with absolute admiration at one another. You could say three persons all obsessed with one another. The Father obsessed with the Son, the Son obsessed with the Father, 
the Father and the Son obsessed with the Spirit, and the Spirit obsessed with both the Father and the Son. For all eternity, totally happy, lacking no affirmation, lacking no love, abundantly overflowing in all of this. And you know this experience, don't you? Because it's almost probably the deepest feeling in your gut that you ever experience is when you see someone you love being praised for doing well. Or when you see uh, a newborn child sort of doing their first things and sort of realizing that they've managed to do something, you feel so much overwhelming love. Or a friend who's just achieved the greatest uh, thing, winning a race or getting a promotion, whatever it might be, or you're watching someone on stage doing well, not in this case, Um, and you are so proud and you want everyone to watch them, don't you? You Your camera is focused on them, even if the talent is on the other side of the room. You're looking at them. You feel that so deep in your gut. Where do you think it's come from? It's because you're made in the image of the God who for eternity has glorified three, three persons glorifying one another. It's the deepest foundation of reality is seeking the glory of another. And so we overhear in this prayer Jesus being obsessed by his Father. How wonderful his Father is, how brilliant his Father is, how loving his Father is. And actually, if you were a slightly self-conscious disciple who uh, needed a bit more affirmation in your life and you're overhearing this, what might you feel? You might feel a little bit left out. Because Jesus seems so obsessed with his Father that he seems to have forgotten about you. But can I just say, if you ever feel like God doesn't need you, and that you're maybe not needed for this whole universe to work, well, that's actually a good first step. Because how terrible would it be if God needed you? How horrific would that be? Look look how long he's wasted, wasted in order to get to you. And now there's so much pressure on your shoulders to get it all right so that the God of the whole creation is happy. No, no, no. It would be awful news if God needed you. It's much better news that we get here that God wants you. And that's what we overhear as Jesus carries on praying. Because now we see that God loves you. Have you ever heard or overheard someone saying nice things about you? It feels good, doesn't it? It does feel good deep down inside, and I don't think it's necessarily a wrong thing to feel that way. Some of you maybe like it a bit too much. You can get prayer over there later. But for the rest of us who are just perfect, it's a deep down feeling uh, when someone says something good about you. Now imagine, imagine if you're one of these disciples listening into Jesus, and he's just obsessed with his father, and you're like... Maybe he's forgotten about. And then he starts talking about you. And there's the penny drop moment when you realize, remember who Jesus is. He's the Son of God. He's empowered by the Holy Spirit to say these things. The Trinity is talking about you. Have you ever thought that? What does the Trinity talk about? The Trinity talks about you. The Trinity in this moment is talking about these disciples who were nobodies, who were sort of all over the place in their walk with God. The Trinity is talking about them, and look what he's saying. I'm just going to work through this passage. If we can have the next slide, the one that says God loves you, and then we can uh, work through this passage together. Thank you. I know it's overly small, but strain your eyes. 
Verse 2, for you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Jesus is talking in the third person a bit weirdly here, but so Jesus is saying, you've granted me authority over all people so that I might give eternal life to all of those people that you've given to me. Now, are you the kind of person who would, before Christmas or your birthday, try and find the presents that were hidden somewhere? No, you should be. It's much better. Because if they're terrible, then you at least get to prepare your surprised and slightly happy face. Um, and if they're good, then it just builds the anticipation for the moment when you get them. So I used to do this all the time, and I found the cupboard where my mum, I think she knew, but... Um, and I once found the hockey stick that I was going to get in a few weeks' time. And it was unbelievable, the feeling that I was going to get that perfect hockey stick. It was so good. And it actually changed my view of the current hockey stick that I had, which at the time I was thinking just had issues and problems and I noticed all its flaws. Now I kind of saw it with a bit more nostalgia. This thing's wearing out, yes, and it won't be here forever. But actually, while I've got it, I'll use it to its best ability. I don't know if that's a good illustration of life and eternal life, but, but this is what the disciples get to overhear. They get to overhear what Jesus is planning to give them. He's planning to give them eternal life. The Father and the Son and the Spirit forever have had eternal life in themselves, and they didn't just want it for themselves. They want to share that with their creation. And so they're planning in a few weeks' time or even a few days' time to give eternal life to these disciples. Wow. Imagine the anticipation that you would feel. Verse 3. Now this eternal life, now this is eternal life. Sorry, they might be asking, well, what is eternal life? Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now eternal life, I think this is quite helpful, is not a place that you go. Sometimes when people talk about uh, why you should be a Christian, it's all about ge geography. I don't like geography. It's about, oh, if you're not a Christian, you're going to go to this place, but if you are a Christian, then you're going to go to this place, and that's better. It's a nicer place. So you should believe in Jesus so you don't go to that place, but you go to this place instead. And then that is often used as eternal life, eternal life, but eternal life is not a place. It's a personal relationship. Before there were ever geographical places, the Trinity in eternity had life in himself. God is giving you eternal life, which means a relationship with God. So if we're ever talking to people about the Christian faith, please don't emphasize more than anything else that they're going to a better place. No, no, no. They can get to know a better person. They can get to know God personally for themselves. That's eternal life, to know God forever and be in His presence wherever He is. It will be in a place. There is the new heaven and new earth. We will be here in some fashion. But the priority at this point, what eternal life means, is being in God's presence, being in the right relationship with God. Then Jesus says this, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. This whole salvation plan is not Jesus' side projects. It's not like the Father and the Son have got their shed out the back, and the Father's part of the shed is this, and he's doing all his work, 
the stuff he's interested in. The son gets to do his own side project. And then occasionally the father looks over and sort of affirms it a little bit. No, no, no. This shows it was the father, if anything, if anyone, who came up with the idea. Son, let's go and save the people who've turned away from us. They have chosen to abandon everything good that we have offered them. But let's not bring condemnation at this point. Let's invite them back. Son, will you go into the world? Yes, yes, please. Will the Spirit come with me? Yes. I'm going to give you a really non-catchy phrase that you're going to forget. All of God does all that God does. All of God does, I don't know why I'm repeating it because you won't remember it. All of God does all that God does. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all invested in your salvation. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world began. Just remember, like I said at the beginning, this is the strongest foundation for reality. Creation was not put into existence because there were some bickering gods up there who didn't really like each other that needed entertainment. Creation wasn't uh, put into existence because God was lacking something in himself and he needed something. No, creation was the overflow of the God who was perfectly satisfied in himself. And he said, should we create something wonderful to share this with? That's why we exist. Then Jesus carries on. I've revealed you to these whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. Now, I, I, whenever I went on holiday, um, wherever it was, I would go out with a bucket into the garden or down to the seaside, and I would collect creatures, and then I'd bring them home to my parents, and they would both reluctantly but willingly let me keep them for as long as I could until they would uh, escape. Or by escape, I mean die. <laughs> they, they stayed in the bucket, poor things. But I, I remember their faces. It wasn't a face of glee. It was a face of, oh, he's doing it again. Okay, well, uh, yeah, you can keep them. Was that how the father felt when Jesus brings? No, 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 it's the opposite way around, isn't it? Have a look. I've revealed, to you, uh, I've revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. This is where the father's like, look what I've had forever. This is the greatest thing. These are the best things. Look, I could tell you so many stories and I'm going to give them to you. This is my most precious possession. I want you to have them. That's you and I. The Father has had us in his hands and he gives us to the Son and says, look after these. These are my most prized possessions. And then Jesus says, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know you. They know that everything you've given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. Um, earlier this week on a phone call, I was called religious, um, which is fine. I understand the idea, but I think it's unhelpful to term people religious because it creates the wrong categories. What is a Christian? A Christian is someone who's accepted Jesus' version of reality. That's it. Everyone has their own version of reality, whether it's some famous atheist, whether it's a philosophical scholar, whether it's your mum or dad, whether it's your friends, whether it's you, whether it's another religious leader, they've all got their own version of reality. Jesus had his version of reality. 
A Christian is someone who just accepts Jesus' version of reality over and above anyone else's. Jesus believed in a Trinitarian God, a God, Father, Son, Spirit, a God who wanted to save the world because the world had decided to turn away from God and broken its relationship with God and given up the glory that was on offer. Jesus believed that God had been the one to take the initiative, that he was God on earth to save us, and he had to do it by dying on a cross. There wasn't another way. He wasn't into great teaching and everything like that in order to raise people. This is Jesus' version of reality. That's all you are. If you're a Christian, you've just accepted his version over and above anyone else. It's not that there's these different categories of people, religious people and unreligious. No, no, no. Everyone believes in a version of reality. A Christian is just someone who believes Jesus' version because we think it's better. We think it's the greater story. We think it's more realistic. We think it's more truthful. We think it gets to the point better and we think it brings the greatest relief. And then Jesus says this, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those that you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. What's the one gift that you will never get tired of receiving? At Christmas, birthdays, whenever, what's the one thing that you will never get tired of receiving? For me, it's chocolate or pork pies. Um, hint. Um, what is it? For Jesus, it's people. It's sinners repenting and turning to God. He will never get tired. There will be a, the biggest smile in the world every time the Father gives someone to the Son, every time someone believes in Jesus and comes to follow him. That is what thrills his heart more than anything. He will not get tired by the billionth person. He's not going to go, oh, I've had one of them. I've had many of them before. No, no, no. He's got as big a smile as he's ever had. His face is beaming at the prospect of getting another person, another saved soul. That is what gives him glory, he says. It's what makes his face shine. It's what lights him up every day. It's the prospect of someone believing in him and following him and experiencing and receiving eternal life. Which leads us to the final part of the prayer, because if he loves us so much, or if he loved the disciples so much, why didn't he take them with him? He was about to be airlifted up to heaven. Why didn't he airlift them with him? Because he wanted to. Did you notice that? Verse 24, Father... I want those who you have given me to be with me where I am. He wants those disciples, the immediate people there, to be airlifted with him when he goes up to heaven. But then he also has another sort of uh, consideration and a great passion. So he's willing to deprive himself of the pleasure of having his beloved people with him up in heaven just for a few more years because he says, verse 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world. So he would love God to airlift them with him, but he prays for God to not do that. Why? Why? Well, it's because he loves you and me. It's like the ultimate game of deal or no deal. I don't know if you know that game. It's on TV show. There are multiple boxes. Some of them, you open them, and they've got like one P in, and you can go home with one pence or one pound. 
and there's another box somewhere hidden that you can open, and you could get 25,000 pounds. Jesus has 12-ish disciples that he could take with him right there and then, up to heaven forever, to experience and enjoy God. But he says, no, I'm not taking that box. I'm going to wait. He doesn't just want 25,000. He wants billions. Billions of people with him in God's presence. That's why he left those small group on the earth, so that eventually we would know about it. And eventually your friends, family, others would know about it for generation after generation. That's why he leaves us on earth. And he probably would have got a slap around the wrist by the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit was there on the edge, raring to go, waiting for Jesus to ascend up to heaven, sit down on the throne, give the high five, and then the Holy Spirit could come. The Holy Spirit would pour out into the world and empower that small group of 12-ish to go out beyond to all the nations and tell them. So, quiz time now, if we could have the God loves them slide. Thank you. There's a little quiz. How did it go from 12-ish to billions? Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone, his immediate disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their, and if we can have the multiple choice, which one is the answer? Through their, you're not allowed to look at the Bible, through their prayers, miracles, good deeds, or message. Is it prayers? Sometimes people pray prayers like God would you make yourself known to my friend, please? Sounds like a very faithful prayer, but it's not a prayer that Jesus would have ever prayed. Miracles. Sometimes we think, if we can just go out and turn everything into a miracle service and just do loads of great healings, which we believe do happen, and we always want to pray for those, but... Some would go the extra yard and say, if only we can just do all of that, then the whole of London will believe. But think about how many miracles Jesus did and how few people believed in the end. Feeding the 5,000, walking on water, everything else. That's not a sign that his miracles weren't quite good enough. That's a sign of our hearts. Good deeds. Sometimes we will excuse ourselves and say, well, uh, I'm just a really good person at work. I try and be really faithful and be a great Christian. And then I think people will ultimately learn from that that uh, they should follow Jesus for themselves. Now, again, not belittling good deeds, but they are not how God turned 12 to billions. The answer is, as some of you already said, it was through the message. Now, I saw a few quizzical faces about the prayers bit. You should pray. We should begin with prayer. That's our BLESS acronym. Begin with prayer. We begin by praying because all of this relies on God's power. But Jesus never prayed, Father, can you speak to them please on my behalf? Can you make me known to them? No, Jesus says, I gave them the words that you gave me and they accepted them. Jesus knew that he had to verbally share. Now, this could be through uh, spoken word, could be written down, could be through British Sign Language, 
whatever it is, but the message has to be communicated. The message has to be spoken in some f fashion. There are no shortcuts. We can't just resort to other things that don't rely on us stepping out of the boat, you could say. And this actually is where um, I, I loved Ed's message. If you haven't listened back to Ed's message last week, you should. It was fantastic. And he gave a brilliant illustration of imagining yourself uh, on a diving board above a swimming pool. And I think I can nick the illustration and uh, change it a little bit. This prospect of diving off that diving board is like the prospect of going out and trying to communicate the gospel, communicate the goodness and the good news of Jesus to the world around you. And there are three options as you consider diving off this diving board. The first one is diving off into an empty pool that has no water in it whatsoever. And the result of that, I think, is only ever going to be death. Now, that is like going out and trying to talk to people about Jesus with totally the wrong motivations. It's purely out of duty. It's obligation. It's because the preacher told me to. Or it's because that's uh, how I'm going to get to heaven. Or that's what I'm supposed to do. You do it with a harshness, a bitterness, a reluctance in your heart. Kind of a religious attitude. That's only going to lead to death. It'll f a feeling of death for you, a feeling of death for the person that you're going to be sharing with. The second one is the right attitude, right motivation, wrong technique. This is the belly flop, where you go out with the right desire because you love people that you want to share the gospel with them, but you do it with no sense of compassion. No sense of caring about the feelings of others. No sense of trying to have the fruit of the Holy Spirit, a gentleness, a peacefulness in how you're sharing. And so in the end, it's like a belly flop. It's painful for everyone around. It's horrible to listen to. It's horrible for you, and it's quite shallow. You don't go deep when you belly flop, do you? It's just a shallow kind of evangelism, and I, I wouldn't encourage it. This is the kind that you go out and... You're just not caring about the people. You're not expressing the, the love of the Holy Spirit in your evangelism. And then there's the third one. And now you might be thinking, the third one, oh, it's the perfect, like, perfect dive into the water, seamless. No, no, no. Well, there might be some in this room. I know some who are just brilliant evangelists, and I think you're gifted, and I envy you. And keep doing it. Keep diving in the most flamboyant way, like Matt Daly or whoever else. But for the rest of us, some of us are just going to jump feet first, okay? We're going to try and minimize the splash. There might be a little bit of pain. But we will do it in a way that doesn't hurt people, or we'll try to. We will go out with the right motivations, but we will do it based on our own current abilities. Yes, the Holy Spirit is going to empower us, but he doesn't necessarily take over and use the perfect frame of words. So we're going to have to work on this. We're going to have to maybe start simple with just a pencil dive into the water. Just talk about your weekend. Hey, I went to church. It was a great time. It was fantastic. We heard how loving God is. There we go. Little splash, you've gone in. Or it could be a little bit more complex. Who knows? But this would be what we encourage you to. God is challenging all of us in this blessed season to jump off that diving board.
Now, please, please be praying so that that pool below you is actually full of water. That you try your best, think about how you're going to enter the water. Think about it, process it, and then go for it. And actually, right now, all I'm going to do as we close, band, if you come up, I'm going to ask you to essentially close your eyes. If you don't want to, you don't have to, but close your eyes so that you can visualize that conversation I asked you about at the beginning of the service. There's going to be someone tomorrow who you could ask them, how was your weekend? And they could tell you. And then out of polite duty, they're going to ask you, how was your weekend? And you have an opportunity, an opening, to jump off the diving board. So just close your eyes for a second and visualize. You might even know who it's going to be. Holy Spirit, please give us wisdom now. And just start the work in us to give us the boldness, the power. Now, what will you say to that person? When you say, oh, I heard a talk about the Trinity and actually... It's just the version of God that Jesus believed in. And I believe in him. I believe Jesus has the best answers to the world's problems. Perhaps you'll say, I, it means, the Trinity means everything to me. It means I'm a child of God. I'm not just a servant or his pawn on this earth. It might be that it means that I can pray to my Father in heaven in Jesus' name. Because I know that it's Jesus who saves me. You might say, actually, it's really the Holy Spirit that gets me through every single day in His power and wisdom. Just visualize now how you might say it. You might do it in totally different and better words than that, but there is an opportunity tomorrow when you meet someone. Pray in your heart now that God would open that door, that He would enable you to speak that the Holy Spirit would give you the boldness to do so. And I'll just finish with this prayer from a great app that I use sometimes called Lectio 365. Father, help us to live this week to the full being true to you in every way. Jesus, help us to give ourselves away to others, being kind to everyone that we meet. And Spirit, help us to love the lost, proclaiming Christ in all we do and say. listening to sermon audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.